Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session. From learning all things oral pathology in school, we learn to memorize specific pictures and textbooks that we spot in our exams and go, yes, I've seen this pathology before. However, when it comes to actually seeing oral pathologies in the mouth, particularly the pigmented lesion, it can get very confusing between what is normal and what isn't. Once we're starting to treat patients and seeing a wide range of demographics, it can get quite confusing. The line gets very blurry when it comes to deciding, should I actually refer this? With me again is oral medicine specialist, Dr. Michelle Kang, and we look at what things to be aware of when spotting pigmented lesions and what actions we can take to making sure that we are providing essential care to our patients. Yeah, so I think a good place to start would be to think why. So why lesions actually pigmented in the oral mucosa? And then sort of going back to basics, and I always say that to understand what is not normal, you know, we need to know and be quite comfortable with what is actually normal. So thinking about the oral mucosa, understanding, and a lot of us would know, if not everybody, that oral mucosa is not uniformly colored. So based on, say, different locations in the mouth. So, you know, we know that there is some chromatic variation that can be seen in various different physiological, pathological conditions. But then we think about, well, there are different sites in the oral cavity. They can have different structural colors, say, based on for example, the degree of keratinization. So if there's more keratin, then the epithelium is thicker. It may look a lot more paler in certain areas. Things like melanocytes. So the number of melanocytes and the activity. So the more melanin that's produced by the melanocytes, the darker that mucosa can look. Also vascularization. So if there are lots of juicy blood vessels in the connective tissue and with our naked eye, it may look a little bit more red because of all the blood vessels um, that are present. And then also thinking about the type of submucosal tissue. So if there is muscle, bone or cartilage, that'll influence what color the oral mucosa will actually look like. And also understanding that there's this wide range of normal. So thinking about patients or people with lighter versus darker skin, and there's this physiological variation in color. So I think a good place to start is know and be comfortable with what's normal. And certainly for our new graduate clinicians that are listening, this will come a lot easier with experience. So the more sort of mouths that you see, the more more different types of normal, you will become a lot more familiar with experience and time. And then we sort of jump into the types and causes of oral pigmentation. Lots of different ways that we can sort of categorize this. So one way I think would be, say, generalized versus localized. So if you do an examination and you notice, oh, I see a pigmented lesion, don't forget to examine the other oral mucosal surfaces to think, is it just the single lesion versus are there multiple sort of generalized lesions elsewhere? And also thinking about the source of pigmented lesions. So is it exogenous? So from outside versus endogenous. So thinking about exogenous, it can be from various forms of trauma. So thinking about chemical. So examples I could give is lead. So lead paint or toxins There can be mechanical forms of trauma. So things like from our pencils, so graphite, also carbon from tattoo ink. And I've certainly come across patients that have um, tattoos sort of inside their mouth. So we may come across it as well. So exogenous form of pigmentation. Also, iatrogenic could be another cause of exogenous pigmentation. So things like medication. So chlorhexidine may cause changes 
different types of antibiotics, so things like tetracycline, also metals. So we use a lot of metals in dentistry, so various forms of crowns, for example, and also amalgam. So thinking about amalgam tattoo. So that's a iatrogenic source of an exogenous type of pigmentation. And then we can think about endogenous, so thinking about different forms of congenital conditions, uh, so things like racial ethnic pigmentation, various and lots of genetic conditions, so things like Peutz-Jäger syndrome and, and a lot more that I could name. Inflammation could be another source, so things like post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So if patients have had an area sort of in the oral mucosa, there's, there was a lot of inflammation and that settled down, they may be less with pigmentation or otherwise known as post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. And then I think we get into the melanotic lesion. So different types. So things like melanotic macules, so um, we can think of it as freckles, melanocytic nevi, which we can think of like moles, and also at the other end of the spectrum, so thinking about the malignant sort of types, so things like melanomas. So I guess, you know, understanding the normal versus not normal, and then if you see a, a lesion, then going through your diagnostic sieve. So whatever diagnostic sieve that you actually have that works for you, but going through it and thinking, well, why could this lesion be here? What's causing it? And then coming up with a list of differential diagnoses. Is there a pigmented lesion that you think gets over-referred? When it comes to pigmented lesions, I think the overarching principle is that Pigment, oral pigmented lesions cannot definitively be diagnosed based on clinical examination only. So unless you have an absolute clear explanation for the pigmented lesion, so things like you see a tattoo inside the mouth and you ask a patient saying, do you know about this? And they say, yes, I got a tattoo and they absolutely know about it. You have that clear explanation, right? But if you don't have that clear explanation, then really you cannot diagnose the base on clinical examination only. And you really should, as a general dental practitioner, refer for appropriate assessment with a specialist. And the chances are they may decide to do a biopsy so that we have that definitive histopathological diagnosis. So when it comes to pigmented lesions that are referred to me as an oral medicine specialist, Personally, I don't think of it as, you know, I, I don't see certain lesions that are over or under sort of referred. Okay. To be okay. honest, understanding that, look, no one can actually definitively diagnose with their naked eye. It's much better and much safer to actually refer because um, I may touch on this later in the episode, but the one of the big sort of conditions or lesions that we absolutely do not want to miss is melanomas. They are rare, but when they do occur, they have a poor prognosis and they are very aggressive in terms of nature. So it's one of those things as a clinician, you do not want to miss. And it's much better to be careful, safe than sorry. And certainly as an oral medicine specialist, if I have, you know, lesions that are referred to me, pigmented, and it ends up being a benign lesion, to be honest, I always tell patients that, look, the clinician that you're seeing, as they were checking your teeth, so say dental practitioner referred to me, they did a really good exam of your skin. And I agree with what they saw. And I always sort of educate my patients saying exactly what I said. We just want to be so careful with these pigmented lesions. And it's very good that you were referred. And hey, we've got this reassurance. So it's much better to be safe than sorry. As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. 
You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional, and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes, and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. I think you put it really well that, you know, understanding the different types of mucosa really benefits and actually understanding what is actually going on when it comes to seeing different kind of mucosal changes or different different things going on in the mouth, if I can put it quite generally. On the more terrible end of the spectrum, when should we be worried about something like an oral cancer or a melanoma? Yeah, so I guess this is one thing that is really important um, for us as dental practitioners and something that we all want to, you know, understand the red flags. So when we think about oral cancers, that's quite a broad term. So that can encompass many oral malignancies and commonly it refers to oral squamous cell carcinoma because it's the most common oral malignancy. But given that we're talking about pigmented lesions, I'll just focus on melanoma um, for now. So I guess melanoma, by definition, it's a malignant neoplasm that is derived from melanocytes. And you hear the term melanoma quite often um, in Australia because we have, you know, lay sort of term and I guess with the general population, we do hear it a lot when it comes to skin cancers. Now, when it comes to mucosal melanomas, they are really rare. So they make up about 0.5% of all oral malignancies, but half of the mucosal melanomas actually occur in the head and neck region. And when we think about mucosal melanomas, they are considered a lot more aggressive compared to skin melanomas. And when you actually go into the staging of mucosal melanomas, they immediately categorize minimum stage three. So considered quite aggressive. So oral mucosal melanomas, they are really rare. So they make up less than 1% of all melanomas. Now, another bit of scary statistic, 10% of oral melanomas are amelanotic, meaning that they actually don't have pigmentation, which is a little bit scary when we when you think about it. Now, the overall prognosis of oral melanoma it's quite poor. So the five-year survival for patients with oral melanomas, it's between about 10 to 25%. Now, when it comes to clinical features of oral melanomas, there's a huge variation. So even thinking about the pigmentation, so they may sort of have a brown, black pigmentation, but they may look, say, a bit more gray or purple, or as you just mentioned, they may actually not have any pigmentation or amelanonic. So a huge range that, that may, they may present as clinically. They may actually occur in any oral mucosal location. There are some more um, reported frequent sites that, um, that are reported in the literature, so locations like palate or gingiva, but they may actually occur in any oral mucosal site. Now, the key consideration, which I sort of alluded earlier in, the, in your earlier question, is 
understanding the poor prognosis and aggressive nature of oral melanomas, it is certainly much better to be more careful. So, you know, better to be safe than sorry. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the overarching principle is oral pigmented lesions, they can't be definitively diagnosed based on clinical examination only. You've got to refer to, you know, the right clinician, the right specialist for further investigations. Um, so that may include things like biopsy with a specialist, but unless you have an absolute clear explanation for the pigmented lesion. So overarchingly, you can't diagnose clinically unless you have that almost 100% sort of explanation of why this lesion is there. And then when we think about the clinical red flags for oral melanoma, we do actually borrow from skin melanomas. So there's an acronym that many people may have heard, so the ABCDE, so the clinical features of melanoma. So if you notice any of these sort of red flags, it would certainly be a push for you to think, well, actually, there is something concerning that might be going on. Maybe I should refer this potentially quite urgently. So running through ABCDE, so we've got A for asymmetry. So the lesion looks a bit asymmetrical. Then one explanation could be is because of its uncontrolled growth pattern, which by definition is what a cancer really, one of the behaviors that it actually has. B for border. So if the border looks quite irregular, then that can be another red flag. C for color. So variation of color. So if it looks a bit heterogeneous in terms of color. So if one lesion has sort of an area that looks one color, but then it actually changes so it doesn't look quite uniform or homogenous, that can be another red flag. D for diameter. So, you know, back in the old days, <laughs> if I can say, if you think about the old pencils, where at the ends of the pencils you have an eraser. So the eraser is give or take about six millimeters. So we say if the diameter of the lesion is greater than the diameter of a pencil eraser, end of the pencil or six millimeter, then you start to think, well, red flag is something concerning going on here. And finally, E for evolving. So if the lesion has actually changed over time, so, you know, with respect to, say, size, shape, color, surface, and so on and so forth, that gives you more of a red flag to think, hang on, is there something going on? So if you come across a lesion that certainly has any of these features, it does serve as a big red flag to refer to a relevant specialist quite urgently for assessment and management. It can't be understated how important it is for you to be able to say these things as an oral medicine specialist to kind of reassure dentists of making sure that we do, even if we do see a, you know, like a discoloration melanotic macule in the, in the mouth, because it's like, I think, I think once you leave dental school, you know, you'll be a couple of years out and then you see one of these little freckles in, in a mouth and you think, oh, do I really pull somebody up to refer them off to to see an oral medicine specialist when you know they're only here for a checkup or they're only here for a filling i think it's quite important to hear those words because you're not just doubting yourself and what you've been taught from school so i guess delving into that how do you go discussing that need for referral with a patient that's just come for a checkup yeah so i think um one of the key things is communication so 
making sure that you do communicate to your patients so they understand what you see. So lots of different ways that we do it as practitioners. So verbal would be, you know, the number one, but also don't forget visual. So if you're able to take a clinical photograph and actually show the patient so that they actually understand and can see what you're saying. Sometimes when I explain things to patients, I do little drawings. So that can actually be quite useful as well, but also written information. So information sheets from reputable sources. So all of those things, different forms of communication, I think are really helpful as clinicians. One way that we may explain verbally to our patients is, for example, telling them, as I was checking your teeth, I did a comprehensive skin check inside your mouth and I actually noticed this lesion. And you know, if you're able to show the photo, this may be your timing. And perhaps educating your patient saying, Look, there are lots of different possibilities for pigmented lesions in the mouth. And you could, you know, give some examples or maybe some of your differential diagnosis. If you're not sure about the lesion, I think that's completely okay. And you can actually explain to your patient saying that, look, this could be one of so many different things. We know that we can't diagnose pigmented lesions based on clinical examination only. So I would recommend that we investigate this further to just make sure that, you know, we are on the safe side. So if we're concerned about this lesion could be a malignancy, then as part of a possible example, you explain to patients, you could actually mention melanoma saying that, look, it's rare to find this in the mouth, but it is a possibility. And if it is there, it can be quite aggressive. And then that would lead to your recommendation. So, you know, it could be a referral for assessment for definitive diagnosis, excluding that really unlikely possibility that this could be a worrying lesion or malignancy. And I guess at this point, you'd want to know who you're go-to specialists are. So depending on where you're working. So knowing which specialist or which clinician is trained to actually assess and manage this. So it could be an oral medicine specialist, oral surgeon, oral maxillofacial surgeon, whoever is sort of your go-to specialist around where you're working. And also I think it's important to document clearly. So making sure that you've explained and also documented what you've explained to your patient. Now, if your patient opts to not proceed with the referral, I think it's important to ask, okay, well, could you tell me why? And ensure that the patient actually understands what you're actually trying to explain. Again, you know, I emphasizing the point that you can't definitively diagnose based on clinical exam only, and you can't, you know, exclude that possibility or say unlikely possibility of say a malignancy. And if the patient, they do understand and they say, look, I still don't want the referral, document and then perhaps the consideration could be to say look I you know saying to the patient I think it's important that at least this is monitored or you know reviewed again at a fixed time point and then at that point doing your assessment and potentially having a discussion with your patient again if there are some changes noted say between the first time you see the patient at a and at a fixed time point then you think about the e so in the a b c d e of melanoma e in terms of evolution if you notice changes that serves as a red flag to you. And that sort of is a bigger push for you to say, look, between the two time points, I've actually noticed a change. This is potentially quite concerning. And again, it may give you um, more of a stronger recommendation for referral um, for the patient. So I think communication is key, patient education is key, but also clear documentation as well and making sure the patient understands what you are trying to explain to them. I do want to mention for my regional practitioners, that you are not alone. So please do not feel pressured into making a decision 
or doing something clinically that you are not comfortable with. So, you know, please don't be afraid to reach out to other clinicians, including specialists. And certainly, you know, I've had cases where I've had remote or regional practitioners reach out to me, and we can certainly help find options and find ways to help you and your patient. So thinking about, you know, you know, possible um, other specialists that may be in the area or ways that we can sort of advise. So please do not feel alone. Like there are always ways that people can actually help you. DPL is proud to be hosting their inaugural Spotlight on Risk conference on Saturday the 27th of May. It's a two-hour online conference and it's free for all dental professionals and students. Get excited to hear from their awesome panel of speakers, including Drs. Laurie Walsh, Annalene Weston, Colm Harney, Simon Parsons, Dan Pronk, and social media specialist Karen Sutherland, as they talk through a variety of topics including artificial intelligence, failure and resilience, as well as the benefits and challenges of using social media as a clinician. Personally, I'm really looking forward to hearing them talk about AI. There's no doubt that times are changing and I think it's important for us to recognise that and understand the impacts technology may have on dentistry. Registration is super easy and you can sign up via the Dental Protection website or through the link provided in our show notes. It's going to be such a valuable event, so make sure to tune in. One thing that you highlight to me is you know, we obviously learn in our oral pathology and oral medicine subjects to be as accurate as we can when it comes to describing lesions that we see or record in the mouth. And so it's, it feels like it's something as simple as measuring something that's, you know, you, we take out a probe and say, oh, it's about three millimeters and then, you know, sending it off. And if we're actually looking at monitoring, like if it's actually growing, if it's four or five millimeters wider than it was two weeks beforehand. I'm I'm not too sure if that actually happens, but I guess just the idea of being really accurate as you can to see if there's even any incremental change of it in that monitoring stage. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, part of your clinical documentation would be exactly like what you said, the making sure that you describe things accurately. So, you know, using the right, right sort of terms and, and also, like you said, picking up the periodontal probe or a ruler and measuring the lesion. Um, also, I think for, uh, clinical photographs are really, really useful um, when it comes to these scenarios in terms of monitoring. So I tend to use a combination of the descriptors that I use in terms of, you know, which um, surface in the oral cavity or oropharynx that I've seen a certain lesion, you know, using the right descriptors, thinking about color, thinking about texture, thinking thinking about size. So all of those things, but also supplementing it with a clinical photograph so that when, if I'm monitoring something, when the patient comes back, I've got all of those resources to refer back to. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.